Man, it's great to be here. I love gathering on Sunday. Sunday is my favorite day of the entire week. I mean, some of you might say it's Friday because you like Friday or Saturday, but Sunday for me, and let me tell you why, because I love to see you. And listen, I love Sundays, and I love Sundays not just because we have incredible worship and we have amazing. Do we not have some of the greatest musicians leading us in worship? Our worship is incredible. Hopefully God feels the same way. I don't come just because the messages are so awesome. I don't come because of that. I, I come because of you. I love connecting. I hope you love to see each other. I hope there's something to look forward to, even if it's just a connection, even if it's a shaking of hands, even if it's great to see you. How's your week been? Because there's something beautiful about experiencing life within a community rather than by yourself. Yeah, you could sleep in, but you could also be sitting at home by yourself. I'd rather be surrounded by people that love me and people that I can share life with and people to celebrate something and people to pick me up when I fall down. I'm telling you, you need community badly. In fact, I preached this last week, your soul needs community. This is what the church is. We are a community for the soul, a community of the soul, and that's what makes the church so incredibly beautiful. Now, here's the thing. As I was thinking about the series, and I thought, let's talk about community. I couldn't help but think about the word within the word, like the word inside of the word. There's a word inside of community that is powerful, and it is part of it. Do you know what that word is? It's the word unity. Some of you got that right. Some of you didn't. I don't know. So calm, immune, I don't know. Unity, community, right? In fact, I would say this, a community is only as good as its unity. Amen? A community is only as good as its unity. If a community does not have unity, it will cease to be a community. Now, that is a great thing to understand today. That's great preaching, but I didn't make it up. Jesus did. That's actually something Jesus showed us. In fact, I wanted to set up where we're going to go today with just a little interaction Jesus had with a, a group of religious leaders in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is, is sitting around with some uh, religious leaders, and, and they're all thinking. They didn't say this out loud, but they're thinking it. They're thinking, Jesus must have some kind of evil spirit in him. Now, here's why they thought that. Not because he was evil. In fact, it was the opposite. Jesus used to do things like heal people and he would cast out evil spirits. And But because Jesus wasn't one of them and they thought we're the good guys and he's not, that he must have some supernatural power that's not from God to be able to do this. And so as they're sitting there thinking about it, Jesus pipes up and says something about their thoughts. Now, this is kind of freaky, right? Because sometimes we think that um, God doesn't know our thoughts. He does. And Jesus shows this in Matthew 12. Here's what he said. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said this to them. Every kingdom divided against itself will be what? Ruined. And he said this. And every city or household divided against itself will not what? Say it with me. Will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom Stand. In other words, one of the quickest ways for a kingdom, for a family, for a community to fall apart is to get divided or turn on itself. That, that is, in fact, I would say this, a family that is always in disagreement is often in disarray. 
There's something about this. In fact, there's a deeper principle at work here that he's talking about that, that a nation, a kingdom, a family, a community that does not have unity, listen, will not survive. In fact, as I think about our country, I just want to say this. I think that it's amazing when you think about the short history of our nation, yet how quickly America became one of the greatest global powers on the face of the earth. And I would attribute, and this is just my personal opinion, the reason why the U.S. just just became a, a quick global power is because when we got founded as a nation, we had an incredible sense of unity. There was a oneness that our nation was founded on. I believe that God has blessed us because of that. You can even hear the language in our pledge. You know our pledge, right? There's, in fact, there's four words that I think are so pivotal and crucial to the blessing of God on this country, and that is one nation under God. That's one nation under God. I, th I believe because we were unified, right? We, we kind of got, fought for our independence and we were unified, but not just unified, but also we submitted to authority under God. And because of that, I believe God has blessed our country. We live in a blessed land. Now, I don't care what you think about it. It's not perfect, but I'm telling you, America has been blessed. And I believe by God because of our unity and our submission to authority. But here's what I want you to understand. Just because we have a great foundation doesn't mean it's a guaranteed future. Just because you have a great foundation doesn't mean you have a guaranteed future. In fact, as I kind of think about the United States today, and I don't know, maybe this is just personal reflection. It feels like, though we're called the United States, that we are maybe more divided now than we've ever been. Do you feel like that? Am I the only one? It feels like there, there's a sense that we feel more I don't know. There's so much disunity. What, what happened to the unity we once had? And I, I don't know if it's true. Maybe it's just because of like things like social media and, and media and the internet. We're more aware of what people think. I don't know. But it feels like we're divided. You can see that almost every presidential election when it seems like it's almost a 50-50 split across the country. We, we seem to be so divided when, when a, a shoe company puts out an ad and people lose their minds. Right? Everybody's like, either I'm buying them or I'm boycotting them, but one of the two, right? So I'm burning my shoes. And then you go and you're like, oh, these cost me a hundred bucks. I'm not burning them. <laughs> like we, we're crazy. Like we are so divided. It feels like politically left and right. Which are you? You ever notice that there's no middle ground anymore. You're either way over here, you're way over here, and we can't even find middle ground. In fact, that's the problem at Capitol Hill in Washington is that nobody will come together. Everybody's talking at each other. No one's listening to each other. No one's coming together. There's no joining together for the greater good. Everybody's got their own agenda, their own purpose, their own. And so we're so divided. You see this so much. I mean, immigration reform is characterized as racial profiling. Religion today in our world is being blamed uh, uh, for all terrorism. Like, like the people, I like to say, the people that preach tolerance the most, if I could be honest, are the most intolerant. Like, like it just seems like we're so divided, we can't even come together and be unified. And I would just say, we need to, as a nation, this is what scares me, is just because we have a great foundation doesn't mean we have a guaranteed future. Jesus would say, a nation or a kingdom that is divided that turns on itself will not stand will not stand and, and it's not just the country 
and I love this country. I'm not trying to pick on the country. I'm just saying the current state of affairs. It's not just our country. I see this even within the church today. There's a lot of division in the church today. We don't believe that. They believe this. We won't talk to them. Like, like we, we are divided over sometimes the dumbest things in the world. Style of music. Oh, those, yeah, them, that church. Oh, my gosh. They're traditional. They're forward. They're this. They're, they've got instruments. They don't. I've seen church splits over the craziest things. In fact, you want to know the quickest way to create disunity in a church? Have a church vote. Well, like the old days when I used to put in my vote. We don't like those days. You know why? Because we come together and we can vote on the color, the paint on the walls, but 53% of them get their way, 47% leave mad. I'm not going to church. They paint them walls that color. Dude, I've seen people leave the church over the craziest thing. I'm not joking. Like when we bought our facility in Lithopolis and then we kind of wanted to update it to be us and we took pews out and put chairs in, people got mad. We painted the ceiling so they weren't stark white and we made them dark. People got mad and they left the church. People will leave a community over the smallest and I would say sometimes dumbest things at all. And most of the time, why we end up leaving is because we got offended or we don't like change. She said that to me. Shoot, I'll just go someplace else. Don't pick up my toys and I'll just go play by myself. We're not kids, right? I mean, can we? Can we? Like, like I've seen this and, and this people don't, I don't like change. My church is getting too big. Or it's just, I don't like it when we expand or I don't like it when we do this. And, and we've lost a sense of unity. It, it's, it's sad to me because I think if, if there's any picture of a community on this earth that should represent unity is the church. If there's any group of people on the face of the planet that is a group that would have the heart of Jesus, that would welcome people of all different backgrounds, people that look different than us, people that make less money, more money than us, that would say, you're broken, you're addicted, you come on in, you come be a part. Hey, it should be the church. The world should be looking at the church saying, I don't know what it is, and I'm not sure I like and believe in this God, but they've got something. And that something is, is unity. If you don't have unity... You don't have community. That's what Jesus said. And I, and I think the, the real problem today, if I could just be honest, I, I think is that we have somehow, as a people, we have lost the ability to disagree and a heart of unity. You, you ever notice, we, we can't even disagree anymore today civilly. Nobody does. If you don't think the way I think, then I just unfollow you. We, can't, we cannot even... As the old phrase says, agree to disagree. That doesn't happen anymore. We, we can't have a civil conversation. That's why we say don't talk about two subjects, religion and politics. Why? Because we can't even agree to disagree. We hold it personal. I can't hang out. I can't talk to them. They think this. They go to that church. They do this. We have lost the ability to disagree. And I believe ultimately we've lost the heart of unity. It doesn't matter anymore. You know what matters? My way. My thinking. My stuff. Me. Me, 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 me. Well, I want to flip that on its end today. I want to talk about how do we keep unity in the church? And here's what I want you to understand. You have a responsibility in this. How do we keep unity in the church? One little sentence that I want you, you'd write this down. I want you to get this in your head. I want this, this one phrase to plague you for this whole entire week. And that is this. Unity is on me. 
Unity is on me. I want all of you to say it out loud with me. Join me in Lancaster. Say it with me. Unity is on me. Say it like you actually mean it. Unity is on me. Now turn to somebody next to you and look at them and say, unity is on me, not you. See, you are tempted. You're like, unity's on you. Unity is on me. See, we don't think this. Oh, no, no, it's her fault. He said that. I'm mad because she, they never, he always, no, 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 no. You got to stop looking around you. We all need to stop looking around us. We need to embrace the fact that the only way we can have unity as a community is if we recognize that unity is on me. It's up to me. It's not up to him. It's not up to her. It's not their fault. It is me within my power. And unity is an interesting thing. You can't force it. You can't make it. You're like, okay, we're going to unity. Everybody, let's hold hands and let's unity, 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 unity. You, you can't make unity. You can't make it come in your family. You can't make it come at work. You can't make it. Unity is something that follows. And here's the thing. You know when you have it. But you don't know how to get it often. I, I want to talk about how do we maintain unity. I believe that something powerful can happen in any community when we have a desire for the greater good over our good. When I care about the greater good over my good, when I care about the church as a whole over what the church is doing for me, when I care about this community, this family, when, hey, think about it in your own world, when I care more about what's best for the family than what's best for me, then you can have unity. Unity comes when, when we take ownership and we recognize the greater good is more important than my good. Now, I want to read to you something that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to go there because I want to put some handles on this today. Because unity is once, it's one of those things that can be so elusive. And we can talk about it. We can be like, hey, man, we need unity. And then we can go out and we can do the very things that can destroy unity in a community. And so I want to give you some things that the Apostle Paul wrote. In fact, he would have written this letter to a church in Ephesus that he started sitting in a prison cell. And Paul addresses unity. Here's what he said in Ephesians 4, verse 1. He said this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's a powerful statement. Verse 2, he said, Be completely humble. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another. How? How are we to bear with one another? In love. Come on, say it again. In? Come on, if there's anything that should define this community, it's what? Love. In love. Verse 3. Make every effort. Not some of the time. Not if I feel like it a little bit. Not until she really ticked me off. Not a, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice what he says. Here's the language. He says, there is one body. That's the church he's talking about. There's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul seems to be obsessed with oneness. It's just one. There's just one. We're one church. And I would argue we're one capital C church, not just about our church, but every church. 
We are not fighting. We are not competition with other churches. We are one church. We have one God, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. We are one. This is what Paul says. Now, the reason why Paul has to write this is because there was not oneness 2,000 years ago. This idea of there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of unity in the church today, that's not a 21st century thing. That existed the very first century. That's why Paul had to talk about it. In fact, the greatest uh, form of disunity that existed in the church back then, and by the way, it still exists in our world today, was race. Racism. You can read, I feel like most of the entire book of Ephesians is really talking about oneness and about unity. In fact, he has to talk because the Jews didn't like the Gentiles and they didn't want to accept them. And so Paul has to say, no, 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 we are one. We are all members of the same family. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what language you speak originally. It doesn't matter. We're, we are brother. We are sister. We are one. We're one. And, and so then he gives us some handles. I, I want to share with you four things that I want to just bring to light that, that he said. That you and I are responsible. Remember, unity is on who? It's on, it's on me. It's on all of us. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. He said first, be humble. Be humble. Um, I have found that humility is not a popular uh, virtue, right? Like humility almost feels, like when you see people are humble, they almost seem weak. You know, like, well, you know what we're really, we're all about confidence today. Not humility. That's not something that you celebrated very much. Confidence, self-promotion, being proud of who you are. I get I get all, I get all that. But it seems like sometimes we, we, we lose a sense of humility when we make it all about ourselves. You know, that, that's, that's the thing about humility. And, and what I often see, this is kind of crazy, is that um, a lot of times there's a version of humility out there that's not a real version of humility. It's, it's flipped on its end. This is what I see today in our culture. Uh, you'll see it through something in that younger people will, will know this phrase. Some of the older people may not. But... Um, have you ever heard anybody do a humble brag? Do you know what a humble brag is? Some of you don't know what a humble brag is probably. A, a humble brag is when you put something out there that makes you look humble and kind of is self-deprecating. Oh, no, no, I'm not that great, but you know. But, but really what you want is attention. That, that's what a humble brag is. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this or you know people who do it. I, I, um, I came across like a couple tweets from some celebrities that would fall into this category of, of a humble brag. Let me read you just a couple of them. Um, this is a celebrity. I won't give this person's name. Um, this person said, I just did something very selfless. But more importantly, it was genuine. And I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. Hashtag so worth it. Thank you for announcing that to us, that you did something selfless. You get it? That's a humble brag. Like, like I just want you to know how, how selfless I am. That, that's, that's it. Okay, here's another one. This, this one girl, she tweeted this. I was recognized a jagillion times today. Even two casting directors said they were fans. Hashtag, this never happens. That, that's a humble brag. Now, now, it's not just celebrities, okay? Sometimes we do it and we don't even realize it. Okay, I think humility is something that, that we can not have but think we have. Uh, here's an example of how I see it happen today. Um, it, it's kind of like when, when people want to just 
thank you to social media, put their positivity out in this world so that they can promote change. And so they post this beautiful picture of themselves just standing on there looking off into the distance. And they, you know, you get a nice, hey, can you take this picture of me or whatever? And they get this picture of themselves. And then they're posting out there about how, hey, listen, I just, I'm just trying to put my vibes out there because I just want us all to get along. And it's just, I'm just trying to help. And I just don't look at me, but you know, all this, but here's a good picture of me. Make sure it was the right light and the right angle. And I took 15 pictures to make sure I get the right one to put out there because I just, I want to put my, I want to put the positivity out there. No, you don't. You want more followers. No, 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 seriously. That's, that's all. Or, or my favorite one is this. Like when, when people will sometimes even brag on God with the selfies. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when they're, when they're talking about the beauty that God has made and they take a picture of themselves with a sunset behind them and, and you can't see the sunset because all you can see is their head in the picture, but they're in there talking about, man, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies declare his handiwork. You know, you know what I'm talking about, but it's like, I can't even see it because your head's so freaking big. Okay. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but um, I just, I, here's my thought. Like, you look at your own social media account today, just a, a point of reflection. That's what we do. And I like to say, if 75% or more of the pictures are you, um, you, you, you are trying to just put yourself out there. Now, here's what I get. I get, I get, I get. Because you're just trying to build your brand. I know. I get that. That's awesome. You're 22 years old and you're working at Kroger, but you're building your brand. That's great. I, I got it, okay? But humility is elusive. And Paul says, be humble. I, one of my favorite humble brags, just so you know that this isn't like just today, um, is in the Bible. You know there is a great potential. I said potential because we don't know for sure. Humble brag in the Bible. The guy who was accredited for writing the first five books of the Bible, at least that's what most say, was Moses. Now, I don't know if Moses wrote it all or if he gathered it and mostly tradition and then what God spoke to him. I, I don't know for sure, but there's one verse that I absolutely love. And when I think about the fact that Moses might have written it, it is the greatest humble brag in human history. It's found in Numbers 12, 3. I'll read it to you. And it's in parentheses. It's like, I just need you to know this. And it says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the faith of, face of the earth. I don't know if Moses wrote it, but if he did, I assure you, when God got there and he saw him, I think he was kind of like, now Moses, seriously. Okay, really, even if you were, did you have to put it out there? Okay. I think humility is kind of about how you see yourself and ultimately how you see others. It's learning to see ourselves in the right light. And I know that we're all about, look, working hard and getting somewhere, promoting, and I just want to get to this place, and, and, and you achieve that, and I get all that. But when it comes to relationships, that same attitude can be the very thing that, that causes detriment and can bring disunity. That, that's why Paul wrote these words. Let these words just kind of like marinate in your heart today. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4. Paul said this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Wow, that doesn't talk to today. Rather in humility, here's humility, value others how? Above yourselves. This is humility. This is not pretending to be humble. It's not, oh, don't look at me. This is, it's an actual thing, practice of valuing others above yourselves. He goes on to say, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
Be humble, Paul says. How do I do that in a community? It's when I recognize that the person sitting next to me and the person I see in the parking lot and the person I'm in small group with and the person I serve with is more valuable than I am. They're not, but you see it that way. When you elevate them, when you say, I'm all about encouraging, I'm all, I don't make it about me. Well, I wanted to serve at that service. Well, I wanted this post. Well, I wanted to be the leader. Well, I wanted to be this. Listen, that's not humility. And it creates division. It's when we elevate others. And by the way, if we would do this in our marriages, it would change things. I think one of, one of the things that causes marriages maybe to crack the, the most is selfishness. And so Paul says, listen, part of making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, he says, be humble, be humble. All right, let me give you a second one. Here's what he said. Paul said this, also be gentle. Be gentle. Now it's kind of an odd one. Be gentle. Um, I don't think some of us are very good at, at being gentle, especially guys. I don't think guys, I don't know there's a macho-ness to us and rough and tough and, you know, guys who like to wrestle and, you know. And so I think sometimes in our culture that gentleness in our minds equals weakness. That if I'm gentle, then I'm weak. I got to be strong. I got to take care of it. I'll handle the matter. I'll tell them. I'll do this. And we don't even realize that, that, that sometimes the way we come across in relationships, the way we are with people can be so damaging that could be completely different if we were just gentle with them. How do we be gentle in a community? It's about how you talk to one another. You see them with respect and value. It's not about being rude. It's about treating people with respect. And I know there's some that are like, well, shoot, I'm, I'm just direct. I just tell it like it is. I'm just direct. No, you're not direct. You're a jerk. Can I, can I say this? Direct people are jerks. At least in the way we think about direct. You can be direct, but you can also do it gentle. You can have to confront somebody with something. You can do this in your home. You can do, but you can do it with a nature that is gentle. Oh, by the way, in case you think this is like, eh, what's the big deal? It's being gentle. In case you think that, you do realize that gentleness is one of the fruit or the result of the Spirit of God working in your life. So when you see somebody that's not gentle and they just leave a wake of people behind them, I start to question and wonder whether or not the Spirit of God is really inside of them. Gentleness. In fact, let me ask this question. Parents, are you gentle with your kids? You know that really awkward moment right now when everybody's just kind of, <laughs> yeah. if you knew my kids, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, if you knew my teenager, they're rebellious and they're always talking back and they're always coming at me and they're always like, yeah, but you're the adult. So we're called to treat them with gentleness, not to match their level of, you know, but to, but to treat, you know, you can discipline with gentleness. Um, my mom was really good at this. Um, she, she would, when I get in trouble, and it happened weekly, sometimes daily, um, I would get sent to the room and then I would wait for, they made me wait for a real long time. It was a psychological punishment before the real punishment. And they'd make me wait 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or either that or so she could cool down. And then she would come in and then she would just have this super nice, pleasant conversation with me. 
Hey, do you know what you did wrong, son? Well, yeah, I kind of did. Oh, yeah, you got it. Why is this bad? You know, she'd have the whole conversation. It was all great. We hug it out. Like, oh, we're good. And then she'd like turn around, hold the bed. That was the only moment she wasn't gentle. But all the rest of it, you know, like. But there's a way, parents, that we are, are to be gentle and even discipline in dealing with our kids, right? Because Proverbs 15, 1 says that, that a harsh, or, or says that gentleness turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. It stirs it up. We don't realize that we can create more animosity when we respond sometimes, or we talk to people in a harsh way. So we need to be gentle when we deal with people. I, I like to say it this way. What you say doesn't matter as much as how you say it. You can be completely wrong and be dead wrong, or right and be dead wrong in how you say it. Well, no, 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 I'm right. Yeah, but you screwed it all up because of how you said it. You can be completely right and dead wrong. What you say doesn't matter near as much as how you say it. In fact, um, I think one of the greatest examples of this was Jesus. And let me give you the example. And here's what you look for in your life when you say, think about being gentle. It was said about Jesus that he was full of truth. I'm going to tell you the truth, but he was also full of grace. Full of truth and grace. Sometimes we can be full of truth, but we have no grace for each other. And sometimes we can just be all grace and not speak the truth. We need both. It's funny because we joke about this in our family. My oldest daughter often says this because um, we'll talk about how Jesus was full of truth and grace. And then it would be like, which one are you? And she always liked to say, she'll like, I'm truth. I just tell it like it is. And she always say, her, my boyfriend, you know, her boyfriend's grace. You know, he's loving, forgiving. She's like, I don't care. I'm going to tell you. He's a jerk. She's a this, a da, da. She, she don't tell the person. She just said, you know what I'm saying? She's just like thinking it. And so we always joke, are you truth or are you grace? The real thing of what we want to be or strive to be is full of truth and grace. Sometimes in a community, we're going to have to have hard conversations. And that's part of being in a community where we hold each other accountable so that we all go in the right direction. But you can do it in gentleness. Okay, you can do it with love. All right? So be humble, be gentle. The third one he said was this, be patient. How many of you, for, for you, patience is super hard to come by? Raise your hand. Come on, I said raise your hand. Hurry up, raise your hand. I'm not patient. Like, patience is, I know they say it's a virtue, but I, it's an elusive one. I, I struggle with patience, okay? I know I'm not the only one. A lot of us do. And here's what I've discovered. Never ask God to help you with patience. That is a big mistake. He will send all kinds of people into your life that you didn't want. And then you go away. I go away. I'm trying to work on my patience. And God's like, I know. Go on, you know. He says, be patient. Be, be patient with, with each other. By the way, do you know that that is also the result of the Spirit of God working in you? Love, joy, peace. Patience. Patience is also something. And I find that today it's really hard to to be patient because we live in a culture, a society that is all about now, not waiting. Like, like it's hard to be patient with others because we're not even patient with ourselves. We want things now. We don't want to wait. I, you know, I, I see this in a younger generation growing up behind me and, and that wants the same lifestyle as their parents but doesn't want to wait or work for it for 20 years. I don't want to save to buy this, so I'm going to charge it. Right? We, we don't have patience. 
we, we just don't. It's so, so difficult. And what happens is in a community, in your family, in relationships, is that I, I'm discovering we need to be more and more patient with people. I think we have a lot of expectations. You have expectations of your spouse. You have expectations of your kids. Why aren't they getting it? Oh, my gosh. Why aren't they cleaning the room? Why aren't they doing this? I know they're four years old. You, you know what I mean? Like, we, we are not patient with people. We're not patient with each other. I find that even with the church, and this I just want to own this, I think sometimes as leaders in the church, we're not very patient. I, I, I can sometimes not be patient. Like, in my mind, like, I, I think, why does this person keep struggling with this? I've preached about it three times already. Shouldn't they have it by now? And sometimes we're, we're not patient with each other. They're driving me crazy or they aren't committing enough. They're not serving enough. They aren't coming to group enough. They're not doing this. They keep struggling with this. They keep drinking all the time. I keep telling them they won't do this. And we just lose our patience with people. And so then we just say, I'm done with you. It's a quick way to lose relationships. It's a quick way, quick way to do- destroy unity in a church. So Paul says, listen. We're not perfect and we're not all there. We're not. In fact, he even says the whole goal of church later in the same passage is until we all reach maturity together in faith. So we need to learn to be patient. Here's the ultimate reason why maybe you should consider being a little bit more patient with the people in your life. It's because God is patient with you. And I'm thankful that God's patient with me. I've done so many things that I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve a second chance. I don't deserve a third chance, a fifth chance. I don't deserve that. But God is patient. In fact, it's the very patience of God that is the reason why Jesus has not even returned yet. Why? It's not because he's slow in, in regards to his promises, but he's patient. He doesn't want any to perish. He, he doesn't. So he's patient. God is patient with us. And therefore, we should be patient with each other. That's, that's the third one. He says, be humble, be gentle, be patient. And here's the last one. I put my own spin on it. Be quiet. Be quiet. I just wanted them all to match and start with B, okay? But, but really, here's the way Paul just said it. Paul said it this way. Bear with one another in love. Bear. You, you know what the word bear, forbearance, do you know what this word means? It means to endure. Do you know sometimes you have to endure people? It literally means to refrain from, to refrain. I'm going to tell that person. I'm going to go, no, 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 no. Refrain, refrain. Like, like I think about this. He says, bear with one another in, lo- in love. Here, here's a good way to think about it. Sometimes we just need to grin and bear it. Smile through your teeth. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you got to smile and shut up. Well, I'm going to tell that person, and they said that, and they cut me off, and they did this. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. No, 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 stop. Don't give them a piece of your mind. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just smile and shut up. I'm serious. Are any of you um, teeth talkers? You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? i got to be really careful. The teeth talkers, you know the ones like when you get really frustrated and you talk, but you do it through your teeth? Because I think you're trying to keep your mouth shut. You don't want to say it, but you're going to say it anyways. You know what I'm talking about? Where your teeth don't separate and you have your death goes and then this. It's funny because um, my daughters always make fun of my wife because my wife will do this when she gets really frustrated at me or the kids. I'm sorry, honey. She's going to kill me. She, I'm going to get this later. Why did you say that? We all do this a little bit. Come on. let's. Be, I, I 
think it's psychologically you're trying not to say anything, but you just can't. Well, see, just talk right to your teeth. I just clench my jaw and my teeth. Sometimes Paul says you need to learn to grin and bear it. Smile. Shut up. They annoy me. Smile. Shut up. That's what he says. Just, just bear it. Bear with one another. How? We're to bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. Hey, here, here's another way you can put this into practice. Let me tell you. It's simple this. Let's try to practice this, not just when we're together as a community, but also in social media. Because one of the things that bothers me the most is when I see people within the community having it out with each other on a public forum. Okay? If, if you don't like something someone did or they hurt you or offended you, can I just please appeal to you and say, would you go to them like a real man or woman and have a conversation face to face instead of posting it on their wall so that everybody else can see? That is a coward thing to do. That is a lazy thing to do. That brings disunity to the community. That is not bearing with one another in love. That's I'm going to bear what I really feel in public. That's not what we're called to do. And I think the greatest way that we can bear with one another in love is that when we get hurt, is that we offer forgiveness. Forgiveness. And I think forgiveness is it's a hard thing to do sometimes when people hurt you. And I think sometimes the reason why, why we don't forgive people is because we're thinking about me. And I get that. Sometimes we get hurt by each other. When you live and operate in a close community like this, where we do life together and we see each other and we serve together and we get in a small group together and we do it, listen, you'll have a tendency to hurt one another, just like you do at home, because we're family. And I believe that one of the most important things that we can do to keep unity is to forgive. Well, she didn't say she's sorry. Well, he didn't like, he doesn't act like it really bothered him. Yeah, but it's not about them. What do we say? Unity is on me. It's on me. Can I give you maybe the greatest reason that you can forgive? Uh, something that, that Paul would write later in this exact same chapter, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Paul, Paul said these words. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You, you can forgive because God forgives you even if you don't understand what you've done to him. The forgiveness of God if, God, if God has forgiven you, you can extend that to somebody else. Well, when they know, unity is, a, is on me. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the person that hurts you. Forgiveness has to do with your heart. It's your heart. And so I just want to ask a simple question maybe you're going to think about because I care about this community. Is there someone in this community that maybe you either need to offer forgiveness or you need to ask forgiveness from? Instead of harboring, I just, I don't like that person. I don't, listen, we don't all have to be the closest friends to be in a community and to have unity. But we surely can't hold on to anger and bitterness towards somebody else. And so let's not, we're not going to come at people. We're not here to try to, listen, when somebody approaches you because you've said or done something, try not being a jerk. Try to be gentle. 
try to have humility and value their opinion more than yours. Try, try in that moment to, to see it from their side and say, I'm sorry, I never meant to hurt you. These are the things that we have to do to maintain unity. And listen, the reason why this matters is because our spiritual enemy would love nothing more than for us to turn on ourselves. This is the way he tries to work his way into a community is if he can get you to think something about someone else, to get angry at someone else. This is what he does to destroy communities like the church. This is why Paul says we need to make every effort not just once and why well, I, I got hurt I'm gone I'm out I'm taking my toys and I'm going home that's what children do not not God's people no you know what we do we make every effort I'm gonna go to them I'm gonna let them know that this hurt me but I'm forgiving whether they even saw it or not I'm gonna go to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace this is what we're called to do for this community one of the things that bothers me the most, and I'm going to close, are people that walk away from this community because they get hurt without ever even trying to confront it, without even trying to deal with it. That is not the way we're called to resolve things. And oh, by the way, you'll just take it with you to the next community. So maybe get this in your mind. When you don't get your way, don't walk away. When you don't get your way, don't walk away. Walk toward the person. We're a community. It matters unity matters why because there's a blessing when we gather in unity when it's there god commands a blessing psalm 133 says how beautiful and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity there god commands a blessing and i want god's blessing on this church i want god's blessing on this community i want you and your family to experience the blessing of being part of a community that will love that will embrace that will forgive that will show grace so don't walk away when you don't get your way. Don't do that. Don't do that. Go toward the person in love. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this community. It is not a perfect community. We are all messed up people. But I think that's what can make the unity of this church so beautiful. That we should be a demonstration to the world. That if they can love, if they can forgive, if they can get along, if they can learn to disagree and yet still love each other and serve each other, then the rest of the world should say, that's what we want. So God, I pray that you would just, by your spirit, you would prompt us, Lord, if there's something in our heart we need to check. Maybe we haven't been very humble. Maybe we haven't been gentle with people. Maybe we haven't been patient. Maybe we haven't learned to bear with one another to endure. Lord, I pray today that God, you would just speak to our hearts about what we should do. Because unity is on me. It's on me. So God, I take ownership. I pray for every person in this church that they say, I take ownership. We take ownership of the unity of this church. God, I thank you that you are doing a unifying thing, not just in our staff, but in our church. God, I believe that we're walking in a season where you're doing something powerful through unity. You're building unity, and you're going to do something incredible through our church, and I believe that. God, we thank you. I thank you for this broken community. It is beautiful. May we honor this community well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, let's thank God for this community. Amen.